What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today, I had an episode talking all about carbs, my absolute favorite food group. Love them to death. And I just feel like there is still too much misinformation out and about when it comes to carbs. So I decided I had to clear the air. And that is what I went through in this entire episode, breaking down all of the myths, all of the rumors, all the misconceptions, just bringing straight truth when it comes to the best food group, which is carbs. So if you guys enjoy this episode, please let me know. As always, take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram. It's at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner and enjoy the episode. All right, guys, today the conversation is all about carbs. And when I was thinking about this topic, it was kind of funny because there's all these rumors that swirl around when it comes to carbs. And there's, uh, it's, it's one of these things that's just been kind of bastardized in our industry, in the fitness industry in general. And I was thinking about all the myths, all the rumors, all the misconceptions. And immediately I started thinking back to like my middle school days. And I wrote a whole post about this and a whole email about it, um, just how carbs are kind of like the kid in school that was like pretty quiet and misunderstood and didn't really like have a group that he hung out with and just kind of kept to himself. And then people just made up things about him because that's what we do when we're in middle school and, um, you know, we're kind of these little assholes and, and we, we make up things about people that we don't understand or they're not part of our group or they're not sitting at the cool table or whatever it is. And, and then, you know, I kind of went on in the post and talked about how, you know, something happened to this kid and then he got kicked out of school and everybody made up all these rumors about him. And then we realized that we kind of missed him and life wasn't the same without him there. And that's kind of how I feel about carbs. There's all these, it's, it's misunderstood. They're misunderstood. There's all these rumors, these myths, these misconceptions, and I am here to clear the air once and for all, so we can have an understanding of the role that carbohydrates play in an overall quality nutrition plan, which for most people, uh, it plays a large role. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I'm going to introduce like what carbohydrates are just from kind of a basic level of understanding. Then I'm going to go over some of the common misconceptions, myths, rumors that you may have heard about what carbs do. Um, so just kind of separating the fact from fiction. And I'm going to talk about the actual function of carbs and the role that they play in our bodies and in our overall uh, nutrition plans. And then we'll go over uh, individual use. So how much should you be eating? What types of carb sources? Uh, how to apply it to your own individual needs? And just understanding the fact that you know there is a wide level of variance when it comes to individual carb use. So you'll see just kind of what that looks like. So that's going to be the overview. So if you are watching on the live, you can ask questions, and I will get to them at the end of the training. Um, if you are watching on the podcast or listening, I should say, on the podcast, you can always shoot me a DM and ask any follow-up questions. And then if you are watching the recorded replay on Facebook, you can drop comments and questions in the comment section, and I'll get back to you with an answer. So let's jump in with first, what are carbohydrates? So when we look at where we derive calories from, uh, the, the food, the energy that we have coming in, 
we can break that down into macronutrients. And I've done trainings on, on macros. You can actually go back and listen to previous episodes of the podcast all about macronutrients so you can hear the breakdown of, of what they are and how to implement them. But macros are uh, foods that we need in large quantities. So we can break it down into protein, carbs, and fats. Now, you can't get calories from any other source outside of alcohol. So if your calories, you know, if you're thinking about how many calories you're taking in, it has to come from one of those four sources or a combination. So it's either protein, carbs, fats, or alcohol. That is the only way to get calories in your system. So most of the time, most of the time when we talk about macros, we're not referring to alcohol. We're just referring to protein, carbs, and fats. So we need them in large amounts. With protein and fat, they are essential, meaning without them, we would not survive. So when you think about carbohydrates, you know, what they are, they're basically a fuel source, um, you know, so it's a, you know, one of the three macronutrients that's an important fuel source, but they are non-essential. So one of the first things that you'll hear frequently from people who um, perpetuate the whole no carb approach or, or keto dieting or very low carb uh, and there's many different variations of it, but you know, just to keep things simple, talking about somebody who is restricting carbohydrate, you'll often hear somebody say like, well, they're not essential because that's, that's accurate. We don't need them to survive. And what I always look at is just because something isn't essential does not mean that it is irrelevant, that there's no use for it. So I always look at it as Surviving and thriving are two very different things. Um, something that's essential and something that's optimal, you know, we really have to look at the overall context. So, carbs, the first myth is just because that they're not essential doesn't mean that we shouldn't be eating them. So, we, you know, what we'll learn here is that most people, and, and I say most because there are certain instances where a low to no carb approach can make sense. But for the vast majority of people, like 95% of the population, carbs should play an important role in an overall healthy nutrition plan. Uh, and, and I'll discuss you know, ways to implement that. But first, like, let's just set the table and understand, you know, that the first myth that because they're not essential, um, that's not an excuse or, or a reason to justify not eating them at all. Uh, we're missing out on key micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, fiber, fuel, recovery, uh, hormonal support. There's a lot of things that we would be missing out on if we remove carbs from our diet. So again, thinking about this in terms of, uh, you know, surviving versus thriving. Um, I don't need them to survive, but I do kind of need them to thrive. So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, the other misconception or the, the big myth that you've probably heard is that carbs make you fat and that gets tossed around uh, all the time. And it could not be further from the truth. The way that we gain body fat is by taking in more calories then we burn. That's it. There's no way around that. It's, you know, essentially we're looking at the laws of thermodynamics. We have to be in a calorie surplus in order to store excess body fat or extra body fat. Uh, without a calorie surplus, we have nothing to store. So if you are gaining body fat, it's because you are consuming, you're taking in more calories than you're expending or burning. It doesn't matter where that, that food source is coming from. Like I said, it can be coming from any of the four calorie sources, any of the three macros plus alcohol. 
it doesn't matter if you are taking in more calories than you are consuming than you are burning you will gain body fat for the most part you can be in a surplus and gain muscle and not a lot of body fat but if you are gaining body fat you are eating more than you're burning so that's fact however a lot of people will say well um you know carbs make you fat because of insulin and the insulin theory, the insulin model of obesity has been disproven by a ton of research and a ton of studies. Uh, So you can really, if you're somebody who likes to go all in on PubMed and really dive into the research, uh, you can eat your heart out on this one because there are some amazing studies that show that the insulin model of obesity has been proven wrong. Uh, Most notably, there was an amazing study done by uh, Dr. Kevin Hall, where he actually had people in a metabolic chamber, which means that they didn't have to rely on intake forms or recollection of what people were eating or logging, which would cause like human error. They actually kept them in a chamber where they could monitor and provide them with the exact uh, food choices and quantities that they wanted to for the purpose of the study. And the study pretty much showed that there was no difference in if calories and protein were equated, there was no difference in the low carb group versus the higher carb group. And so we see this repeated in studies, but a lot of times uh, there there are the, the no carb critics who would say that they weren't well or they weren't well conducted studies that there's you know human error and they didn't they didn't test for long enough that's a common one oh well they only did this short term study uh, but we see it repeated over and over again if protein and calories are equated the amount and the ratio of carbs to fats does not matter when it comes to weight loss uh, so it's it's pretty much equal we actually saw a slight advantage for the higher carb group in the in the study that I'm referring to, which was done by Dr. Kevin Hall, the metabolic uh, chamber study, where they basically controlled all of the inputs when it comes to how many calories were being consumed and the difference in macro uh, ratios. So it was a low carb group versus a high carb group eating the same uh, number of calories. And there was no difference. There was a very, very slight advantage to higher carbs, but it was statistically insignificant. So it was pretty much a wash. Um, So what I'm trying to explain is that carbs in and of themselves don't make you fat. If you are over consuming any food, it doesn't matter. That is where you will gain body fat. If you are eating more than you're burning. So that can come from, uh, it can come from carbs. It can come from fats. Most of the time, what we think of is, oh, well, I'm overeating things like candy and cookies and donuts and ice cream, and everyone thinks that's carbs. That's the problem. Most of those foods actually have more calories from fat than they do calories from carbs. Because remember that fats have nine calories per gram. Carbs have four calories per gram. So a lot of those foods, even though it may seem a little bit deceptive, like, oh, well, this cookie has you know 40 some grams of carbs, but only nine or 10 grams of fat or, you know, whatever the the difference may be. And it seems like it's a a big difference, but the calories per gram, most of those foods actually have more calories uh, from fat than they do from carbs, like, like pizza, ice cream, cookies, donuts, cake, that sort of thing. Um, So 
oftentimes we associate that with just carbs. It's like, oh, well, carbs are making me fat. Well, first of all, it's too many calories that's making you fat. And second of all, a lot of the foods that you are associating with carbs are actually foods that are higher in fat calories than carb calories. Um, so that myth has been put to bed, but still we hear it circulating. The other thing is, is sugar. A lot of people say, well, maybe it's not carbs, but it's, it's sugar. And that's the issue. Uh, and this one's a really simple one to look at. Um, the There was a, a cool graph that you can pull up. And if you just look at like the average sugar amount of, of sugar consumed, uh, national average, and the trends over time, you'll see what happens is that there is a trend in obesity rates right along with sugar intake increasing. And these two lines like go perfect correlation for like decades, uh, you know, maybe like 30, 40 years, there's this strong correlation between sugar intake increasing and obesity rates increasing. And then what happens is over the last couple of decades, we see a drop off because there was this fear mongering around sugar and people listened and people became afraid to eat too much sugar. So uh, we stopped eating as much as a whole, as a society. And that sugar mark just kind of like dropped off uh, a couple decades ago and started trending down. And you see the obesity trend still going up. So there's no longer a correlation between sugar consumption and obesity rates. Now, again, with sugar, it's not the sugar itself that is causing you to gain body fat. It is the overconsumption of calories. Now, there may be some validity to the fact that if you eat very high sugar, you may not be getting satiated or you, you might have more, more difficulties like controlling your caloric intake. So very high sugar may be causing you to continue to be hungry and overeat, but it's not the sugar itself, it's the calories. So you know, what we're going to talk about strategies to, to navigate that uh, mostly it comes from blood sugar regulation because when you're just strictly eating sugar, you get this big blood sugar spike and then a huge drop. And typically it leads to you being hungry immediately after. So you can eat a large quantity of just like straight sugar. If there's nothing else with it, like if you're eating straight sugar or just straight sugary foods as like a snack, you might find that you are hungry like 10 minutes later and it didn't fill you up even though you had a lot of calories. And that's because we get this big blood sugar spike with a big drop and then we're hungry again. Uh, so having sugar with other micronutrients and macronutrients, so combining it with a quality protein source or vegetables or a healthy fat, uh, fiber, that sort of thing, that's going to control blood sugar. It's not going to have the same effect. You will be more satiated. So with sugar, it's not the sugar itself. It, it depends on context. And again, sugar, just like straight table sugar, is going to have a different impact than naturally occurring sugar from like an apple because the apple is going to have vitamins, minerals, fiber, water. It's going to be more filling than just something that's like straight gummy bears, which is just literally sugar. And so there's going to be a a much different uh, cascading effect with hormones like insulin, uh, like blood, blood sugar stability, those sort of things. So the sugar conversation is not as simple as just sugar makes you fat. Like, first of all, wh where is the source coming from? And it's really about overall calories. Um, so one of the other misconceptions is that um, another myth is that carbs this, the fuel source derived from carbs, glucose, um, is actually not the preferred fuel for your body, that we have this like backup 
operating system, which our bodies prefer to run on, which would be like ketones, uh, which is also not true. Um, so your, your brain and organs prefer to run on glucose, specifically your brain, which requires a lot of glucose. Um, so when I look at carbs, that's the first thing that I think about is the body's preferred fuel source for your organs, your brain, but then also for any sort of intense activity. So if you're active, if you strength train, your body prefers to use glucose. Uh, it's a more ready, readily available fuel and is going to help power more intense activities like lifting weights or after you surpass like a certain aerobic threshold, you'll move to more um, carb burning, glucose burning than you would fat burning. Our bodies are always running on two fuel sources, carbs and fats, so glucose and, and fatty acids. With the carbs and fats fuel source, you know, we're always using both, but it's a different ratio depending on the activity. So if I am lounging around and I'm just doing nothing and like right now, I'm not very active, I'm sitting, even though I'm moving my hands, which is requiring energy, that is a low intensity activity, which is going to be mostly fueled by fats. However, there still will be. So maybe the percentage is like 90% fat, 10% carb. And this is just an estimate. Everybody's going to be different. You have some people where at rest, they actually burn more, like maybe it's 50-50 or 60-40. The percentage is not what matters. What matters is that when you're doing low intensity activity, typically your body is going to preferentiate fats as fuel, even though there will still be some carb as fuel happening. And then when you are doing things like intense training, lifting weights, um, sprinting, anything like that, there's going to be a large, there's going to be a, a shift from mostly using carbs as fuel, even though there will also be some um, fat as fuel happening during that time. It's just going to be, you know, but, but to say that our bodies prefer to run on something like ketones, which is like the, the backup operate operating system um, is misguided because we need our brains prefer carbs. If our brain doesn't get enough glucose to function properly, that is when you will see ketone production happening. And yes, we can survive, but does it make a lot of sense that the backup system would be the preferred system. It just doesn't pass the logic test and it also doesn't pass the scientific data. But a lot of people like to say, oh, well, I felt better when I, you know, when I had uh, higher ketone levels. And, and that's fine. You know, for some people, if you feel like you had some mental clarity improvements or improved focus when you were in ketosis, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just not the preferred fuel source. And there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that when it comes to athletes or active individuals that we really start to see a drop off. If somebody is in ketosis and trying to perform, trying to lift heavy, trying to perform in the gym, trying to perform in long distance races or anything like that, we see ketones, ketosis fall like flat on its face when compared with carbohydrate fueled athletes. So uh, there's a lot of literature on that. So again, it doesn't make a lot of sense just logically that the backup operating system would be the preferred system. Like if that were the case, then our bodies would have evolved to just simply produce ketones on, on their own without having to completely deplete carbohydrate. But just want to clear the air because that is a common misconception. Um, so understanding that the main thing 
we want to know is that there's no reason to fear carbs, that carbs in and of themselves don't make you fat and it's excess calories. So that means that we should probably look at the quality of the food choices that we're making. And that goes for not just carbs, but also for protein and fat. So when we look at all you know, the entire composition of our diet as a whole, that really plays a role because even things like, you know, cookies, you could say, well, cookies have carbs and fats, so it might slow down digestion, that sort of thing. But if you look at the quality, um, it's mostly going to be sugar and then low grade oils where it's the, you know, polyunsaturated fatty acids, low grade oils, that's going to lead to a little bit more inflammation and, uh, not to say that we should fear those foods. We just want to be aware of what's happening. If we can incorporate them in moderation, we're totally fine. But I just don't want, you know, I don't want people demonizing certain food groups and associating them with certain food groups when it's, when it's misguided. So having awareness around, you know, the, the interaction that's happening when you consume certain foods, but also the context matters. So let's look at the proper use and understanding of carbohydrates. So first of all, we know that it's a, it's a fuel source. We know that it's the preferred fuel source for our brain, our organs. We know that it's the preferred fuel source for our muscles to do strenuous activity. So what happens is we use glucose for strength training. Like I mentioned, uh, we store glucose as glycogen in our muscles and in our liver. And so you're going to have when you strength train, you're going to have a depletion of muscle glycogen because you're using that muscle. You're, you know, let's say I'm flexing my bi my bicep, I'm putting it under tension, and I'm actually using energy um, to lift a heavy weight. So now I'm pulling the glycogen out of my muscle, um, circulating glucose to be able to to energize myself to be able to perform that task that I need to get done, right? It's a stress on the muscle. There's stress happening. My body needs energy to handle that stress, to be able to generate the power and strength to perform that movement. And so there's going to be a depletion of muscle glycogen. Now we want to replenish that after we train. So our body goes into repair mode. It's like, okay, there was damage done to this muscle. We need to replenish and repair. And that's where you get things like the post-workout you know, window of gains, this anabolic window, which is another myth that I, I probably should have talked about in the myth section. But the, the whole theory behind the anabolic window is that we are in this state of repair mode. So our bodies are like a sponge. And we're going to pull more glucose and more carbs into our muscles than we would otherwise, which is actually true. Um, however, it doesn't lead to improved body composition because at the end of the day, uh, the net caloric difference and energy balance is what determines if you lose or gain body fat. Um, however, there is application to the post-workout recovery window, which is mainly the fact that carbs, one of their use, so in addition to being a fuel source, carbs also increase insulin and reduce cortisol because insulin is the shutoff valve to cortisol. So if I just went through this, this strenuous, stressful task of lifting weights, which is a stress on the body, and now I have an elevated cortisol response because cortisol is the stress hormone. So in order to actually mobilize that energy, I need cortisol to do what it's supposed to do, which is mobilize stored energy so I can handle the stress in front of me. So 
my muscles are, are up for the task. My body is up for the task. I lift the weights that I intended to lift and I finish my session. But now uh, it's not like I just finished that last rep and my body all of a sudden knows that there's no more stress. So there's still uh, cortisol is still going to be elevated even after you finish that last rep of your workout. Now, the reason why a post-workout shake with some carbs is helpful is because insulin is that shutoff valve to cortisol. So if I have a post-workout shake with carbs, I'm going to have an insulin response and that's going to shut off cortisol. So it basically like tells my body, okay, stress is over. Now we can go into repair mode and now you're going to, you're going to have more of the circulating carbs, you know, which is, is then broken down into glucose, which is then stored as much muscle glycogen. Um, so you actually do have improved insulin sensitivity post-workout, which is another reason why there's a lot of emphasis around the post-workout window. Um, what I like to think of it is that overall quantity matters the most. And then when you get into the timing stuff, that's like just icing on the cake. If you can, if you have the time, if it works with your schedule, you know, get in a post-workout shake or a meal that's a little bit higher in carbs to shut off the stress response from training. It's also going to increase serotonin. Um, it's also going to get that muscle glycogen replenished so that especially if you want to have the energy to perform again relatively soon. Like if you're somebody that doesn't rest enough and you have a, a quick session the next day or, or you have a second you know, activity that you want to get done, then yeah, it makes a little bit more sense to get that post-workout shake or meal in. Um, so that's another role of carbs is that they will increase insulin. By the way, insulin is actually the most anabolic hormone that we produce. Most people think that it's testosterone. It is not. It is actually IGF-1, insulin growth, growth factor one, which we can utilize carbs to help us build more muscle. So having insulin as a tool, it's not, you know, the the whole theory that insulin makes us fat has been disproven a number of times. So don't fear insulin. It's a matter of using it strategically. Uh, again, from a blood sugar standpoint, if you are insulin resistant, then your body's going to produce a lot of insulin to get the job done, which is not a good thing. That means that there's going to be more circulating blood glucose longer because you're not getting those nutrients into the cells. It's still circulating because you're resistant to the insulin that you're producing. So it's like, you know, the, the glucose is knocking on the door to go in as muscle glycogen or to go in as liver glycogen and the cells aren't responding because you're insulin resistant. So you're knocking, but nobody's answering. That means that they keep circulating. Glucose keeps circulating in the blood, which can lead to more like systemic inflammation uh, and, and some like gut dysbiosis. And then we can really get into a rabbit hole with gut health and, and that sort of thing. So it is important to be insulin sensitive. One of the best ways to do that is to lift weights. Uh, another great way to do that to improve insulin sensitivity is to walk. Um, another great way is to stabilize blood sugar. So that's where we don't want to have these big spikes and these big dips in blood sugar. And one of the best ways to stabilize blood sugar is to eat well-balanced meals. So again, when we're looking at carbs, 
in the context of an overall healthy, well-balanced diet, that's actually going to be beneficial because you're going to have more blood sugar stability. If you have protein, fats, and carbs with each meal, and by the way, vegetables are carbs. And I know that oftentimes we don't think that fruits and vegetables are carbs. So if we have well-balanced meals with a quality protein source, a quality fat source, and a quality carb source, we're not going to have these huge swings in blood sugar. And we're not going to have these big insulin dumps. So that is really important. Oftentimes, you'll hear low carb or no carb prescribed for things like PCOS um, or autoimmune disorders, things like that. And, and really, it's kind of adding fuel to a fire because we want blood sugar stability. If so, oftentimes, insulin resistance is a symptom of PCOS. And if I am completely eliminating carbs, well, now I'm adding stress because I don't have as much of a shutoff valve to cortisol. And if I'm always stressed, well, then I'm worsening my insulin resistance. So it's the opposite of what we really should be doing, which is for somebody with PCOS, we really have to emphasize food quality and well-balanced meals. That means that you wouldn't want to just eat straight gummy bears alone by themselves. We have to focus on quality fiber, veggies, fruits, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, well-balanced meals where you're getting a protein, a carb, and a fat with, you know, with lots of veggies and, and that sort of thing will help you with blood sugar stability. So it's really about not having these big swings. It has nothing to do with eliminating carbs because oftentimes people think, oh, well, if I'm insulin resistant, if I just don't send the insulin signal by removing carbs, then I'm going to improve my sensitivity. There's a time and a place for that, and it can have application. But especially with somebody who has an autoimmune disorder or PCOS, you're adding too much stress to an already stressed out state. So removing carbs is actually, in my opinion, pretty poor advice. I would rather focus on quality and blood sugar stability, which would be accomplished through well-balanced meals. So, um, another application for no carb being like, oh, I'm going to improve insulin sensitivity. Like I said, there are instances where that can work, but what I've seen for the most part is you really have to have uh, recovery and other stress management dialed in if you're going to take that approach and like just completely go low carb to improve insulin sensitivity because we have to balance the stressors. If we're just taking away insulin, but we're adding a whole bunch of stress, it's not doing us any favors. So I would prefer a more well-balanced approach, which is like, let's, let's look at food quality. Let's look at food quantity. Another way to improve insulin sensitivity is to actually lose body fat and to build muscle. So you would, by getting leaner, you will actually improve insulin sensitivity, which is one of the reasons why when people ask me and they say, I have a lot of fat to lose, but I also have a lot of muscle I want to build. Where should I start? I always say, let's start with losing body fat first, because that's going to improve insulin sensitivity, which will come in handy when it's time to build muscle. Because like I said, insulin's that anabolic hormone that we want to use to our advantage to build muscle. So it just makes sense logically to get leaner first improve insulin sensitivity and then build muscle. And that helps when, when we phase things and we always talk about it, like we have to phase things. We can't always play the same card over and over again. Uh, and that's just an easy way to do it. So we're going to phase, you know, we're going to start with the fat loss phase, then we're going to reverse, then we're going to go into a muscle building phase, then maybe chill at maintenance, then go through another fat loss phase, basically keeping your metabolism functioning well without extremes in one direction or the other. But 
ultimately we have to understand the application and, and where it comes into play when it comes, when it comes to carbs. A simple rule that, that gets tossed around a lot that I actually like, uh, which is you don't want to have just straight carbs as a snack, like especially when it comes to carbs that are like just there's not a lot of nutrient quality or not a lot of nutrient density, I should say. So if I were to have a snack and it was just gummy bears, I'm not getting any vitamins or minerals. I'm not getting any fiber. Having that as a snack alone will cause that big blood sugar spike and blood sugar drop, blood sugar drop. And then you're, you're going to be hungry again. You're just going to want more food right after that. So if you do want something like gummy bears, just incorporate it into a well-balanced meal as something like, okay, I had, you know, my protein, my veggie and my healthy fat, and now I'm going to have some gummy bears. It's going to slow down the digestion process. Um, So, you know, we have to think about those things. If we're noticing that like snacking is an issue, that hunger is an issue, look at your habits and look at the way that you're kind of structuring your meals and your days. Uh, It can kind of give you insight into why that's going on. Another thing, another function for carbs is that they are a source of fiber. Like I said, fruits and vegetables are carbs. Fiber is one of the most important things for our diet, not just for our gut health. So, so digestion, our, our gut microbiota, like the, the microbiome, the, the bacteria in our gut, we have this whole ecosystem in our gut and they feed off of fiber. So we're getting fiber from quality sources like vegetables, fruit, oats, that sort of thing, beans, you know, then we're supporting a healthy gut microbiome. Microbiome. Fiber is also important for um, just like frequency of going to the bathroom and, and the quality of, of your poop. But it also helps with lowering cholesterol. It also helps with insulin sensitivity. So again, coming back to like hormonal health, uh, carbs play an important role. Carbs are super important for thyroid function. Um, thyroid, our thyroids are like, it's, that's the metabolic command center. Our thyroid is directly related to our, our metabolism. That's where, you know, somebody who has hypothyroid or slow thyroid, you know, has a slower metabolism or somebody who's hyper, they will have a faster metabolism. That's the, the thyroid's like that metabolic thermostat. Uh, carbs help support thyroid production. So we need carbs. If we, you know, an easy way to put yourself into hypothyroidism is to completely remove carbs from your diet. Uh, That's just one of one of the things that we typically see with a lot of people who go keto and then come out of it and then have this fear of carbs because they're like, oh, well, I started to eat carbs and then I gained weight. And like, yeah, your, your metabolic rate is probably still compromised. So that's one of the things when it comes to supporting hormone health, Carbs play a huge role in thyroid function mostly, uh, but a number of different things, like I said, when it comes to insulin, when it comes to cortisol, probably two of the most important hormones when it comes to body composition, cortisol and insulin, and carbs have a direct and indirect role on both. So uh, for the sake of your metabolism, it makes a lot of sense to include carbs. So hopefully I've made the case that you shouldn't be going low to no carb. Now, it is relative when I say low to no carb or very low carb. All these terms are pretty subjective. It's all relative. So I do want to get into some individual application. But first, I just want to say something about keto because I'm, I'm not anti-keto. I, I'm anti 
diet dogma. And, and typically that's what we see with keto, which is like, oh, it's this magic quick fix because people will lose weight fast. And you know, we, we live in this instant gratification society where people want fast results. So it's very easy to hear like, oh, I went keto and I lost 10 pounds in two weeks. It's the best thing ever. You got to try it. And then it starts this bandwagon of, oh, it's great. All I have to do is never eat carbs again and I'm good. So there's a couple issues with that. First is that when it comes to sustainability, it is highly unlikely that you're going to go a long period of time without eating another carb. If you don't like carbs and they do nothing for you, then there's probably a place for low to no carb in your life. Um, and you know that's totally fine. Your personal preference matters. So if you just dislike carbs, you're like, I don't want to ever eat a carb again. Cool. You don't have to. Uh, however, when it comes to sustainability, it's unlikely. Most of us enjoy carbs and there is evidence to back that up. They've done some long-term follow-up studies with the ketogenic diet. And what we've seen is that there's about a 2% compliance rate when we start to get past like two years of trying to do the keto diet. So really poor compliance. And remember that adherence and sustainability are everything. So if we're trying to apply a diet that has a 98% failure rate. And I don't mean failure as in like it can't work. I just mean that from a sustainability standpoint that only 2% have been, uh, when, when we look at follow-up studies for keto, are able to adhere to the diet for that long. And, in, and what happens is it sets up this poor relationship with food, in my experience, where you deem carbs as like off limits. And it sets up this hard rule of foods. And then when you do eat a carb, you feel guilty. And then you want to eat all the carbs because you know that you're about to restrict them again. So it just kind of creates this poor relationship with food that I've found the, the psychological impacts just as damaging as the physiological, which we just touched on from, from a hormonal standpoint, from a stress standpoint. So there's a lot of reasons to not go that direction. But um, outside of just the sustainability, what we'll see is like, a lot of people will say initially, oh, I lost a lot of weight doing keto. That's because you lost a lot of water weight. So carbs actually pull water into the cell with them. Uh, so it's about one gram of water per every three grams. Um, somewhere along that line, uh, it's like in between three to four grams of carbs will pull in a gram of water. Um, I don't remember the exact desk. It's like 3.4, 3.2, something like that. Don't, don't quote me on it, but it is between three to four grams. So if you're pulling in water to the cells, you might find that, oh, well, I ate carbs when I hadn't eaten them before. And now all of a sudden the scale's up. Well, that's because you have more water, but it's intracellular water, which is not a bad thing. Uh, it's actually a good thing when it comes to training, when it comes to muscles, you know, we want water in our muscle cells. We want that. It, it helps, you know, give us better muscle, get her, um, better performance. It's, it's a positive. So that's another thing as a quick tangent, why people uh, don't like creatine, even though it's one of the best, most effective supplements there is. It's because creatine adds, pulls water into your cells, but it's in intramuscular. And that's a good thing. Um, just because we see the scale go up like a pound of water, that's not it's not something to be scared of. Uh, that's a positive when it comes to water in the cells, in your muscle cells. So if somebody completely depletes carbs, they're also depleting the water weight that was associated with having carbs. So it's very misguided to be like, oh, I lost 
10 pounds in two weeks. Yeah, most of that was water weight. Uh, and, and oftentimes when we're looking at body composition, um, carbs are important for, for maintaining your muscles. And so typically with keto, we see body composition, even if the scale goes down quickly, we'll often see more of a skinny fat because you're not optimizing. You're not optimizing your, your muscle. You're not prioritizing your muscle mass. So we can typically see, um, again, this is for most people, we see that there's kind of that skinny fat effect when they completely remove carbs. Now, the, the people that always, there, there's inevitably, every time I talk about carbs, inevitably there's somebody who comments, who writes me, who sends me a message and like, you know, what are you talking about? I've been doing keto for four weeks and I feel amazing. I've been doing keto for six weeks and I, I've never looked better. Awesome. And I always say, my response is always the same. I say, that is great to hear. I am so glad that it's working well for you. Every time. The thing is like, follow up with me in six months and then let's see how you're doing. Follow up with me in a year and then let's see how you're doing. Not to, not to be a dick, but like, that's really where the true test is because most of the time what happens is that that honeymoon phase wears off and then it becomes very restrictive and people inevitably crack and have a carb, which they should, but then they feel guilty and they go in this cycle of binge eating carbs and then going back to keto and then being afraid of carbs because they feel like they can't control themselves around them. It's not that you can't control yourself around carbs. It's because you've set up this rule, this hard rule in your mind that you can't eat them. So that's all I'm saying is like, if you felt great on keto or you you do feel great, then by all means, that makes me happy. I, I want what feels best for the individual. Um, however, just proceed with caution uh, because there are some issues when it comes to sustainability. So having said that, let's move on to the practical application side of things, which is how do I know what types of carbs to eat and how do I know how much to eat? And, and this is going to be like highly dependent on the individual. So I always have to preface that by saying it, but um, you guys should know me by now and you know that the answer is always, it depends. Um, but let's first talk about quality. So again, like I talked about veggies and fruits, those are carbs. Those should make up the bulk of your carb choices. Like veggies unlimited. I don't even put like a serving amount recommendation. Eat as many veggies as you want. Um, get them in. That's like the best source of, of fiber, of micronutrients. It's going to support your, your hormone health, your focus, your brain health. They, you just have to find a way. Get in your veggies you know, having a serving of veggies with every meal is a good place to start. Uh, filling half of your plate with veggies is a good idea. Having, if you can like super bonus points, if you can have veggies included with your snacks, although that's a little bit more challenging, I don't do that, but bonus points if you can. Um, so start with that and then one to three servings of fruit per day. And then when you're looking at carb choices outside of that, there's going to be a, a, you know, a large degree of personal preference. But if you look at potatoes, not just sweet potatoes, russet potatoes, white potatoes, red potatoes, purple potatoes, all potatoes are fine. Uh, rice, same thing. If you like white rice, eat white rice. If you like brown rice, eat brown rice. I like jasmine. I like basmati rice, like just, you know, rice, totally fine. Uh, and then we can get into like oats, grains, that sort of thing. It depends on how certain foods make you feel. For some people, you might notice that if you have something like pasta or bread, it doesn't react very well. You have digestive distress or things like that. Okay, so move to something like Ezekiel bread or sourdough bread or something like that. Uh, Gluten-free oats, you know, try, uh, you know, lentils, beans, just quinoa, 
different things, squash, you know, I love different, you know, like kabacha squash, spaghetti squash, acorn squash, try different things like that. Uh, there's a million different carb sources that are really quality. And then when it comes to like the, the other types of foods that you would associate with carbs, like that are kind of just straight sugar, like your, your gummy bears or things like that. Uh, just try to remember the rule of having them with a protein and a fat fiber, you know, so if I'm having some gummy bears, um, and I don't know why I'm picking on gummy bears today, but if you're having some gummy bears, just incorporate them uh, with some other foods to slow down the digestive process and to keep blood sugar relatively stable. Uh, But we want to play around with it. You know, the reason why it's challenging just to say like, here's exactly what you should eat. And by the way, if you haven't downloaded our pop plate guide, highly recommend it. Um, It's in our Facebook group, so you can download it from there. And it will give you just a whole list of different carb choices that are totally fine. Um, But find what works for you. Uh, But the reason why it's so difficult to just say, eat this is because we see that people respond differently to different carbs, even from a blood sugar standpoint. So uh, for me, I might have a, a really high blood sugar spike when I eat something like an apple, just using that as an example. Whereas I might have a very low blood sugar spike when I eat something like white rice. So there's going to be variance from food choice, but that's why to kind of hedge your bets, it helps to have well-balanced meals, but then also kind of pay attention to how you feel after you eat certain foods. And that will give you insight into, you know, what, what carb choices make you feel your best or food choices overall, not just carbs. But since we're talking about carbs specifically, pay attention, tune in, does this give you energy? Does it you know, make you feel more focused? Is it helping your recovery? Is it helping your performance? You know, all these type of things we want to pay attention to, digestion, and then we can make, you know, start to make decisions for ourselves. Uh, one of the things that's really cool is if you look at blue zones, which are areas of the world that have the longest lived people. And there's, there's different regions. Uh, one in particular is Okinawa, Japan, uh, where they have the most number of people who live to a hundred plus, you know, one of the longest lived regions in the world. Uh, their, their diet is like 60% carbs, mostly from white rice. So again, if carbs were, you know, when we talk about like carbs not being essential, well, here's a region that primarily eats carbs and they live longer than most of the rest of us when it comes to like specific regions. There's other areas. Uh, there's one in Honduras, they eat a lot of fruit. Uh, there's, there's other areas around the world where we can spot differences in their diet. Some are more carb heavy, some are more fat heavy. Uh, so again, it really depends. So it's not, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to throw out these blanket statements. What we can look at when it comes to individual variants, not just from a quality standpoint, but also a quantity standpoint, is your own lifestyle and personal preferences. So, you know, what I like to look at is like, let's just start with kind of an equal balance of of carbs and fats and then adjust from there based off of your individual needs. So the easiest way to do this is to start with your total caloric needs and then to to kind of go with protein first because that's the easiest to set. And then once we have protein and calories established, then we can just play around with carbs and fats. You actually don't really need to. Like I mentioned, if protein, calories, and fiber are equated, carbs and fats don't matter when it comes to fat loss. Uh, It doesn't matter when it comes to, to weight loss, when it comes to body composition changes. You can play around with that however you want. So what I like to do is just start with kind of an equal split 
of calories from carbs and fats and then adjust and just kind of go up or down based off of that individual. So reasons that I would go up in carbs would be activity level. Uh, if somebody is, is more active, like they have a, a job where they're on their feet most of the time, or if they are somebody who's training a lot, they do, you know, they're doing four or five strength training days, uh, that sort of thing. They're more of an athlete, uh, somebody who loves to lift weights. And, you know, sorry, I might start to increase that carb ratio. Uh, if somebody based off of our conversation tells me that they prefer carbs over fats. Like one of the things is personal preference. Do you find yourself more of a carb person or more of a fat person? Like if you were to, you know, grab something out of the fridge, what does that kind of look like? You know, for me, it's, it's heavy carb. Like I actually have to consciously think about getting enough fat into my diet. So it's easy for me to grab, you know, quick carb sources to add to my meals. Like I love potatoes. I love rice. I have Ezekiel bread. I have, you know, oats. I have granola, um, beans sometimes like all the things at rice cakes out the wazoo, um, rice, literally, like I always ask the question, how many rice cakes is too many rice cakes to eat in a day. I probably surpass that. Uh, it's just, that's my, my natural tendency is to gravitate towards carbs. So why would I try to fight that? Fruit is another big one for me. Um, I don't have to fight against that. I can just work with my nature, my personal preference. So again, for somebody who is not as active, more sedentary, who doesn't prefer carbs, uh, who, you know, they're more of a higher fat person. Cool. We can lower carbs, but again, they still play an important role. So I think oftentimes we get this, this idea that it has to be like all or nothing, uh, which most of the time the real answer is in that gray area in between. And it always depends. So, uh, find what works for you and you can play around with that and and just, you know, kind of see where you're at and how you feel and monitor biofeedback and how you're, you're progressing. If your goal is fat loss, see how things are going. Um, how's your performance and recovery and, and just pay attention to some of the, the details and then you can make adjustments from there. Um, it certainly helps to have a coach kind of guide you through that process because a lot of times we're very reactive. It's like, oh my God, the, the scale went up a pound of water weight. Well, a coach is not going to overreact. A coach is going to keep you focused on the objective and the goal at hand uh, and not going to allow you to just completely go back to, oh, well, I ate a carb and I, I gained a half a pound. So now I'm going to remove carbs again. Um, a coach is going to walk you through that. I can't tell you how many people we've actually taken from no carb keto approach and just completely transform their body composition. Uh, you know, it, it's nothing that they were doing wrong. It was just believing that that was the best way and kind of forcing this thing on themselves that they really didn't want to do. And, and they were like white knuckling it for so long and then came over to work with us. We implemented, you know, gradually got their carbs up to, to a level that worked for them as an individual and like body comp changes quickly when you start to fuel it the way that it wants to be fueled. It's amazing how that happens. Not just, uh, not just physically, but from a mindset perspective of like, man, this is great that I get to eat these foods that I thought were off limits forever. And now I'm enjoying food again. It's, it's just, you know, it's funny how that happens, but it does help to have some kind of expert guidance through that process to be able to see what your threshold is when it comes to carbs. Carbs, on the other hand, you don't have to push too high. Uh, if you feel like you're, you're bloated or if you feel like it's leading to digestive issues, then like, yeah, for sure, drop down. Um, if carbs are causing that type of reaction, 
you don't have to force it. There's no, like, there's nothing that says you have to eat a certain amount of carbs. And there's nothing that says you have to restrict a certain amount of carbs. It's about finding what makes you feel your best. At the end of the day, that is the message that I want to hammer home. It's about feeling and performing your best and looking your best if that's your goal. Um, so, so really keeping those things in mind. Uh, when it, like I said, when it comes to a number, like sometimes people will throw out the, the one gram um, per pound of body weight kind of in the same line with protein. I, you know, if, if that's your starting point, cool. That would mean that if, you know, you were 120 pounds, you would start with somewhere around 120 grams of carbs. For me, I, you know, you can use that as a starting point. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I typically just like to set calories and protein first and then kind of look at an equal balance of carbs and fats and then just, you know, maneuver up and down based off of the individual. So, I know that that requires, you know, more hands-on of, of an approach and actually talking through with with a coach. But so if you're trying to set things on your own, uh, you know, you can certainly start with the the one gram per pound of body weight. But that kind of, you know, becomes an issue when you may have um, an excessive, you know, you may have a lot of body fat that you want to lose. Uh, so maybe you're, you know, 250 pounds and you want to lose 100 pounds. Uh, starting at that one gram per pound of carbs, I wouldn't recommend. I would recommend starting a little bit lower than that. So it's kind of a flawed way, but I've seen that thrown out there a number of times. Um, it's not horrible, but it does have its flaws. The, the most effective way to do it is to actually work with somebody who knows what they're doing and can give you uh, a great place to start. So just to recap, I know we covered a lot of information. Um, carbs, one of the macronutrients, they are non-essential, but remember that we still need them to thrive. We don't need them to survive. We need them to thrive. Uh, it's a preferred fuel source for our bodies, for our brain, uh, for intense activity. It supports our hormone health, mainly thyroid, plays a role with insulin and cortisol. Um, we use carbs mostly uh, as glucose, and then they get stored as muscle glycogen or liver glycogen. Uh, we can put the rest, all of the myths about car, you know, carbs making us fat, about sugar making us fat, um, that we need to remove carbs completely. Uh, we can kind of look at finding a well-balanced approach with quality meals, well-balanced quality meals with all three macronutrients, protein, carbs, fats, quality sources, uh, making sure that we're getting in enough fiber and veggies, and then not having carbs, you know, just a carb snack oftentimes can lead to the blood sugar swing. So if we can incorporate healthy fat in there and protein, that's great. Bonus points if you can add a veggie. Um, and then really finding the food choices that fit you and also finding the quantity that fits you as an individual. So I hope this was helpful, guys. Um, I'm going to roll through the Facebook questions. Uh, let me see if I can find any questions here. So the first question that I see is, doesn't carbs turn to sugar and then sugar turns to stored fat? Um, so that can happen. So, but that's not what happens unless you are in a calorie surplus, which would mean you're eating too many overall calories. So when we break down carbs, we break down carbs into glucose. Um, and so even if it's, you know, we're eating a bunch of carbs, let's say I'm eating only carbs, but I'm not eating in a calorie surplus. Well, there's nothing extra to store. And so 
the carbs, I'm not going to convert carbs into sugar, or, or I'm sorry, sugar into fat, uh, unless there's an excess of, of calories coming in that needs to be converted. So this is another misconception. Sugar doesn't get stored as fat. Sugar cannot get stored as fat unless it's converted to fat first. So there has to be a conversion that takes place until it's stored. We our our body fat, you know, we have these things called fat cells or adipose tissue, and we store fatty acids, you know, in the form of triglycerides into our fat cells. We can't store sugar into our fat cells. We have to convert it first into fatty acids and then store it as triglycerides. So that is how we gain body fat. If we're eating too many calories and we have too many calories from fat, that is actually easier to store as body fat because it's already in that form. It doesn't have to be converted. It's already. So if I'm eating excess of fat, like let's say I'm eating keto and I have no carbs coming in, but I'm eating in a calorie surplus, all of those extra calories are coming from fat. There, no conversion has to happen. So there's less energy required to actually store the fatty acids as body fat. So the, the idea that carbs are, are you know, turn to sugar, which is then stored as body fat is a total misconception unless you're eating excess calories and the excess calories are in the form of carbohydrate, then you will, there will be a conversion that happens of carbs into fat, which would then be stored as fat. Um, so it is actually a less efficient process, which is why if you're overeating and you're overeating carbs, you're actually going to burn off more energy because it actually takes energy to make that conversion from carbs to fat to then store it as fat. So you wouldn't even gain as much if the excess calories were coming from fat. That conversion doesn't need to happen. It's easier to store because it's already in that form. So hopefully that makes sense. But if you are, uh, there was another study that you can look at to help disprove this myth is the Twinkie study. Look at the Twinkie study. A guy ate 800 calories a day of straight Twinkies, um, actually lost weight because he was in a calorie deficit. Even though he was just eating straight sugar, basically, uh, there was nothing. He actually lost weight because he was eating less than he was burning. So he was burning more than the calories that he had coming in. So there was no storage of anything because it was he was in a calorie deficit. So that's the first thing that I that I had covered when I talked about, you know, you don't get fat from eating too many carbs, you don't get fat from eating too much sugar. You get fat from eating too many calories. And it doesn't matter where those calories are coming from. Uh the podcast, Facebook lives, uh are the podcast just the Facebook lives now or are they just added in? Um so the podcast is the Facebook lives and then I'm also doing additional episodes. Uh, which once my office is done, there will be an increase in podcast episodes for sure. Uh, it looks like Trish answered my question for me, so I didn't even have to go over that about about the uh, sugar being stored as body fat. But thank you for clarifying. Um, thank you for the questions, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Please let me know if this was helpful. If you are listening on the podcast, as always, I love to hear feedback. So if you could just take a screenshot and post it to your stories and tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, I would appreciate it. And if you are on Facebook, just comment in the video and let me know if this was helpful. And I appreciate you guys very much.